four weeks we uh, shared something. So I think this is the fifth and the last in the series that I want to do, Behold, I Make All Things New. And uh, we started with Isaiah 43, 18 to 21. Um, do you not perceive it? Do you not see it? Behold, I do a new thing. Even now, he's going to make a way in the wilderness, and uh, water will be given to drink. The dry desert barrenness will be turned into streams and lush vegetation. Is that okay? Everybody say, it will be garden-like. It will be garden-like. So it was part of the terms and conditions of the covenant. And the new thing that was coming was the New Testament. So the new thing that was coming was the Spirit as opposed to the law. Because the terms and conditions of the law was if you don't keep the law, famine and drought will be the result. In other words, wilderness and death and captivity. But with the coming of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit, all dry, barren places will become lush. There will be water flowing. There will be vegetation. Isn't that right? Isn't it amazing that demons seek dry places, but we are watered places? So when people say they are water spirits, it's not true because they do not like water. I thought I would just mention that. Because Jesus said when they come out of a man, they look for dry places. In other words, they look for a place where there's no spirit. No Holy Spirit. They cannot be around a place where there's the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, he's in me. Okay, so say, this is a well-watered place. Say, this is a lush garden. Amen. So we then touched on the fact that Psalm 92 and verse 10 that with this new day was coming a fresh new anointing. Yeah. And, uh, and it's been interesting to hear how preachers all over the world are preaching about a new day, a new dawn, and they're preaching about new mantles, fresh anointing. There's a pastor in England, I think he's on his fifth week preaching on Psalm 92 verse 10. I want to go and listen to it because maybe I'll learn something. Four weeks on Psalm 92 verse 10. It's really yeah. awesome. And so he's releasing fresh oil. Isn't that right? And then we looked at the fact that uh, God takes the initiative. What he wants is our response. So he's taken an initiative in this. So what is our response? And then last week, what we did is we went out of the macro and we went down to the micro. And uh, we went from the overview and then we just got down dirty and personal, you know. And we just started to look at the life of Jacob as maybe a picture of our lives. And the fact that this new dawn, this new day is a time-sensitive issue and that God is intensifying with us because in order to step into the new day, some changes may be necessary. And we saw the wrestle that Jacob had with God, and he overcame God and received the blessing. In other words, God said, right, you know, your hunger, your desperation has reached such a place, you've won. I release you with blessing. Be blessed. And so your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel, because you've overcome with God and with men. And so... If you've made it out with God and wrestled it out with God, then the COVID thing and all of its consequences is not really an issue because you overcome. And so we looked at that last week. I had such tremendous, tremendous reaction from that word last week all over. There was a pastor sitting in the first session, and he got up, he came to the first session, and he said, yeah, what a word. He said, I'm going now to go and preach this word. So he was just, I saw him at the back, and he was just making notes. So I'll check with him later how it went. But Pastor Theo is a connected pastor with us, and his wife Caroline from Coltonville sent me a beautiful message this week, and he said, I thank God for you. 
because, you know, I've been sending him the messages, and he started preaching on It's a New Day. And he's a lady in his church who's got a phenomenal voice, and uh, her with the band wrote a new song. And he said, I want you to hear the song. I played it for Shireen, and it's basically that it's a new day, it's a new time, and the favor of the Lord is upon us. And they wrote that song spontaneously out of what he'd been preaching about. It's a new day. So come on, everybody say, it's a new day. Say, it's my day. It's my time. I'm freshly anointed for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, what I want to do is I want to just zoom out a little bit and then go back to a big, broader overview. But yet, it's still personal. Is that okay? Yes. And so Isaiah 43, 18 to 21, I've got to give it to you because it says that in many places in the Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. So Isaiah 43, verses 18 to 21, it bears repeating. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness. Everybody say way. Another verse says it, it's a highway. You know, isn't it amazing that the way is a waterway? Let's carry on reading. A way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Everybody say the way is a river. Okay, you'll connect the dots later. Even if I don't connect it for you, you'll connect it because you're smart. The wild... Animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Woo-woo! So in other words, God assumes that we are a praising people. Ezekiel 36 verse 35, talking about the nations around about, he says they will say, pointing to the people of God, This land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. Isn't that awesome? This land will become like the Garden of Eden. So there's a prophetic intention of God right there, the prophets wrote. So you can read it over and over again in Isaiah, over and over again. And he talks about, in Isaiah, the highway of holiness that he's going to create. But that highway is a river. So Psalm 46 There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. Okay, you've got me fooled. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. Okay, and so there's so many verses and scriptures of rain and water and wilderness to gardens and flourishing and grasslands and forests. And so that is the backdrop. Now, it may seem like I've lost the plot, but I want you to turn with me to John chapter 20 from verses 15 and 17, and then let's just discover the plot this morning that the Lord gave me. So if we go to John chapter 20, this is the story now. We pick it up where Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried, and uh, already some of the women and some of the disciples have gone to the tomb because there were reports from some of the women that the tomb was empty. And so they start running there. And of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has already discovered that the tomb is empty. And so in John chapter 20, in verse 15, she's in the, this garden area of, around near the tomb, and she's weeping. And then Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, If you have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus says, Mary. She suddenly recognizes the voice, and she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
and comes up to hug him and um, without a mask and without sanitization. And he goes, don't touch me. <laughs> you may be infected. <laughs> no, no, no. And so, so anyway, but he says, don't touch me. I haven't yet been to my God and your God, my Father. And your, I haven't been, so you can't touch me. In other words, you can't embrace me. Now, I read this. I've read this verse how many times? How many times have you guys read and heard this verse? And suddenly, something struck me. You know, every now and then a verse, when you read it, grabs you by the throat and says, what? Have you never seen me before? This was one of those occasions. And so Mary, I believe, it was a mistake, but it was a prophetic mistake. She's supposing him to be the gardener. Well, she was right. He is the gardener. He is. Not of that garden, but another garden. He's the gardener. So it was a prophetic mistake. And when I read it, I was like, oh, my word, he's the gardener. This is Jesus. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, when God creates Adam and Eve, and uh, it's really amazing. But before he creates them, it says this in chapter 2, verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east. So what does that make him? A gardener. So God goes and plants a garden, which makes him a gardener in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. So where did he take man he had formed? It seems like he formed him outside of the garden. Then he takes him and puts him inside the garden. Why? So the gardener could garden him and puts him in charge of the garden. But he's the gardener of the gardener. Tending the garden of God. Come on, church. And so the Bible says the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. The implication from Scripture is that he grew other plants, other trees, other people. Because the trees were people. And it says, and uh, he made other kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Because he formed Adam and Eve out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and trees that were good for food. In other words, they produced fruit. In the middle of the garden were another two trees, also personalities. Yeah. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, yeah. and the other was the tree of life. Yeah. It's interesting that two characters step out against the background of these trees, and we've got to take notice. Because in Genesis chapter 3, we see that God basically said, oh, and there was a river watering the garden. Yeah. Flowing from Eden. That separates into four headwaters, okay? So the Lord God takes the man, verse 15, puts him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, in the previous chapter, Genesis 1.21, then I'll come back to the two personalities. He says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And so God already sets a precedent. The trees you can eat of, but the trees that you can eat of has to be a tree with a fruit that has its seed on the inside. 
So, i.e., apples, peaches, and pears, and all those kind of things, they have the seed inside. You can eat the fruit of that because it has the seed inside. All right. So now that's a principle that God establishes. So when you come to the tree of life, you can eat of the tree of life because it has fruit, and its fruit has got seed inside. The implication is that God is associated with the tree of life because every day would come walking in the cool of the garden and they would fellowship. So they were eating of the tree of life, God. They were eating his words, and his words had seed inside, and that's why they were then in the nature and the character of God. So another personality emerges in Genesis chapter 3. When they come to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're the serpent. And, and he says, did God surely say, you shall not eat of this tree? Because he knows that he's a killjoy, that the day you eat of it, you'll be like him, knowing good from evil. Well, they were already gods. That was their nature and their character. But the deception came, but Satan was associated with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So they ate his words, and that words, those words, seed words, in them produced death. So now they were no longer seed of God. The seed of Satan had now taken root. And that's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are a brood of vipers. In other words, you are serpent seed. In other words, you are baby snakes. And Satan is your father. So Jesus was not surprised when they wanted to kill him. Why? Because they ate serpent seed, the fruit of the serpent's lips. They, Adam and Eve, had been eating of the fruit of the tree of life. So the end result is the fall comes. The amazing thing is they hid behind the other trees in the garden. Where was God found? In his garden. So he would come looking for them in the garden, and then they hid. The amazing thing is after they fell, God said, the earth is cursed, the ground is cursed, the land is cursed. And uh, Adam, you're going to have to till the ground. And um, Eve, you will bear children in pain. And the serpent, he said, you'll be confined to the dust. And there will be enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. So he was, God immediately prophesied Jesus, but he immediately prophesied conflict. And even though Satan was cast down. He had enough wisdom to know if that's the fact, then I better go for the seed. And the rest of the Old Testament is a story about seed. Coming to Jesus, who was then the seed, to whom the promises were made, Galatians 3. Is that okay? So there was a curse. But the result was, at the end of the day, the result was God said in verse 22, Genesis 3, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and touch or hold or take from the tree of life. And what God did was he took cherubim and he put the cherubim at the entrance to the garden with flaming swords to protect the way back to the tree of life. Because he said, because if he takes it and eats now, he will live forever in his sin. And so in an act of mercy, God shuts the door on the tree of life. Is that okay? Everybody with me? And so the way is closed with cherubim and flaming sword. Then along comes Jesus. It's very interesting how in many of his parables he speaks about the fact, and even John prophesied, 
that he's coming with an axe and the axe is laid to the root. What he's implying is he's going to go into the garden. And uh, Jesus even himself said, every tree that's not planted by God is going to be uprooted. Jesus said to the Pharisees, the kingdom is going to be taken from you and given to another who will produce its fruit. So God is a gardener. Amen. Everybody say God is the gardener. And so Jesus taught many parables. For example, the laborers working in the vineyard. He also taught the story about a man who was, you know, an owner and he had a vineyard. And he had the gardener working in the vineyard, but there was a fig tree. When he came and he looked, obviously at the vine, there was fruit. But when he looked at the fig tree, there was no fruit. And he said, chop it down. And the gardener said, just please, you know, another year, let me dig around it and put fertilizer. And, and so the gardener was trying to save the tree for three years. How long was the ministry of Jesus? Three years. Who were the fig tree? The fig tree was the Jews. It was Israel in self-righteous works. Because the implication in the Garden of Eden that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil may have been a fig tree because it's self-righteous religion. And it was probably where they got the fig leaves to clothe themselves with, Adam and Eve. And then God came along and said, no, not fig leaves, a skin prophesying Jesus the righteous lamb. Amen? And so he says, you know, Leave it another year. So for that whole period of time, so God is a gardener. Jesus is the gardener. And um, so cutting a lot of things out. Have I given you enough background? Remember, this was zoom out. eh? So we're going to zoom in again just now. So zoom out. Jesus was a man of prayer. Spent his life in prayer. Sometimes the whole night in prayer. Sometimes he separated himself for days in prayer. Every major event, every major decision, he bathed it in prayer before he chose the apostles' prayer. And it seems as if Scripture tells us in the Gospels that his prayer life increased intensely the closer to the cross that he came. And the more earnest came his prayers because the more revelation Jesus got from the Word, the more understanding he got that he was to go to the cross. And towards the end, he's very specific, very clear, very accurate when he starts to tell the disciples, I need to be handed over to the chief priests and I need to be killed. And so he begins to speak about it more and more and more. But when he was in Jerusalem, he had a specific place where he'd go and pray. It was his favorite place. Many times spoke about it that he would go out to this particular place. There was a mountain called Mount Olivet or the Mount of Olives where there were many olive groves. They say some of the oldest olive trees that are there are still the olive trees that possibly that Jesus prayed under. Still today, thousands of years old. And so Jesus would go, but connected to the Mount of Olives, very amazing Mount of Olives. Everyone say, Olives. It's interesting that the true biblical picture for Israel is not the fig tree. It's Pharisaical religion is the fig tree. That's why Jesus cursed the fig tree on the way to the cross that was bearing no fruit. And he said, cursed. And so basically what he was saying, he was saying, self-righteous religion doesn't bear fruit. And I'm on the way to the cross, so it's now cursed. And the fig tree died because it had no fruit. So it was a parable. Okay, so Paul tells us in Romans that the picture of Israel is the olive tree. Why the olive tree? Because the olive produces olive oil. Is that okay? Zechariah chapter 4. And so, you know, the olive tree that um, was given to Zechariah and the vision, you know, had two trees, two olive trees connected to the candlestick and huge amounts of oil, an unlimited supply of oil. Joshua and Zerubbabel, priest and king. And what he was seeing was a vision of just over the border, 
just over the hump into the New Testament, will come prophet, priests, you know, priest kings who will have an unlimited supply. But ultimately, is from Jesus, our priestly king. Is that okay? Because he is the olive tree. And so it was the Mount of Olives. And this particular time, it's very close to the cross. Jesus is praying, and he goes out and very close to the Mount of Olives. They say it's at the bottom of the hill, but it's connected to and part of is a garden called Gethsemane. Where Jesus goes and he pours out his soul. His soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. His sweat becomes like great drops of blood. The anguish where he has to work out, is it my will or God's will? And the amazing thing is Gethsemane means an olive press. So Jesus was there. The pressing had begun so the oil could flow, so that his anointed ones could come forth. Isn't it amazing that it's in a... It's in a garden. It's in a garden. Jesus went to the garden to pray. I mean, why did he go to the garden? It's prophetic. It's prophetic. Adam fell in a perfect world in a garden. Jesus was tempted in a wilderness. But all of his other activities, or many of his other activities, especially prayer working out our salvation, was in a garden. It was so prophetic of what the gardener was doing. And so in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 18, now remember I told you that the Word of God is very deep, isn't it? Okay, here's a deep revelation because I know you can handle it. John chapter 18 follows John chapter 17. Amen. Follows John chapter 16. Follows 15. Follows 14. Follows 13. But John chapters 13 to 17 is the discourse, the final lot of instructions Jesus gives to his disciples. They've just instituted and celebrated the Lord's Supper. And then Jesus starts walking out. And where is he heading? He's heading to the garden. He's going to the Mount of Olives because the pressing has begun. And he goes and prays in Gethsemane, a garden. He goes back to his favorite place. And so it's all prophetic. And so give them this whole discourse. And he prays his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And then John chapter 18 opens like this. And I want to tell you the Holy Spirit doesn't waste words. He doesn't put words in the Bible insignificantly. It all is significant. You know, Mary mistaking him. Uh, this must be the gardener. Jesus didn't say, no, I'm not. He just said, Mary. He said, don't, don't touch me. The way to the tree of life hasn't been opened yet. Don't touch me. But soon. John chapter 18, verse 1. You ready? You're going to get some, some more revelations. Great. When he had finished praying, that was with the disciples in, in Gethsemane, all four Gospels record that prayer. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, John 18. So anyway, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was a, a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. The betrayal was about to come. Because in one of the translations, he said, rise. You know, he's coming, but he's got no hold on me. So... That's, are you all ready? John chapter 18, verse 1. So now they go into the 
It's another garden also connected with Olivet, just across the Kidron, just outside of Jerusalem. Only a few hours prior to this, Jesus was instituting the Last Supper. It was at the Last Supper, although he knew for a long time, he revealed that one of the disciples would betray him. And John asking who it was, he said, the next to dip the bread into the soup or the sop. He's the one. Judas takes the bread Jesus gives him and he dips it in and he eats it. And the Bible says, Satan enters him. Who enters him? Satan. Jesus is in the garden now with his disciples. Listen to verse 2. And Judas also which betrayed him, knew the place. Satan entered Judas. Supernaturally, Judas knew the garden. Genesis. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples, so Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials, from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus says, this is your hour, the hour of darkness. It's powerful, isn't it? And so there was coming another thing in a garden with Satan. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, tree of life. Later, it's interesting, just, this is just for interest's sake. It's not included in your offering. It's just a dessert helping, okay? In John 18, verse 26, later on in the chapter, when uh, Jesus was going to be charged now, and Peter was kind of the only one that went and showed his face there, all the other disciples ran away, even John the Beloved. They all ran away. They all ran. And Peter goes hanging around in the background, and then one of them said, you're one of them. You were with him in the garden. Powerful statement. Ezekiel 28, describing the king of Babylon, he's referred to as Lucifer. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. And a lot of people teach that Lucifer is Satan. It's not. I've got a teaching on that. So he's not Satan. And so the interesting thing that describing this king in Ezekiel 28, it says, you were in the garden of God. In other words, you were once a believer. And remember, for a while, Nebuchadnezzar had repented, you know. And so he says, you were in the garden of God, but then you got all haughty and, you know, you got all proud and you were kicked out. He was not talking about some creature that's Satan. No, he was talking about this physical king. So to refer to someone as being in the garden of God means, you know, you were there in Eden. And there are other references like that in Isaiah as well. In other words, you were serving God. Is that okay? Say, I'm in the garden of God. Just say, in the house of the righteous. There's abundant wealth. Amen. And so it was interesting. On the way to the garden, Jesus said, remember, I sent you out. This is, we find this in Luke 22. I sent you out and I said, don't take purses, don't take script, don't take anything. Just go and preach and just trust me to provide. And he said, well, now we're at a different time. He said, get purses, get scripts, and, uh, you know, if you don't have a sword, buy a sword. So Peter's like, you know, he's taking every word literally. He quickly looks around and he says, well, we don't have 12, but we've got two swords. Jesus says, okay, bring them. It's enough. Yeah. It's just amazing. Everything, everything is just 
just symbolic and prophetic and just adding to this incredible picture. And remember, what we're doing is I'm talking about this new day, this new dawn, and I've zoomed out a little bit, but I'm chucking it into its context biblically. Is that right? And he said, two swords. Two swords. Jesus said, that's enough. Bring them. Because something had to be fulfilled. Come on, church. So they were actually taking physical swords with because Jesus was trying to get a message through to his disciples. Okay, two swords. What do, I mean, what kind of army are you going to fight with two swords? The other ten standing there, you know, two fighting. Okay, okay I can see you tired. Yeah, I mean, give me a turn. <laughs> What's what are you going to do with two swords? Jesus, that's enough. And they must have been going like, oh, well, anyway, Peter sticks one in his belt. And, of course, when they came to arrest Jesus, Malchus, the high priest, servant, stepped forward. And, you know, and then Peter went and chopped off his ear. I like what one preacher said. He said he wasn't aiming for the ear. He was aiming to take his head off. He just ducked. And so Peter just, because he was a lousy shot, you know, he wasn't a trained man. He, he was a fisherman. I mean, he just took his ear off. So Jesus immediately showed, no, 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 no. That's not why you, I wanted you to bring the swords. And he proved it by putting the servant's ear back on and healing his ear. He said, no, no, no. Put the sword away. Put it back. Holster the sword. Sheath the sword. It's for symbolism. So Jesus then quotes, because all the disciples ran, Jesus quotes Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. And he says, awake, O sword. Awake, O sword. You see, because Jeremiah 46 says, why is the sword of God so silent? Why is it still in its sheath? Prophetic. Prophets write these things. Zechariah, prophet, says, awake, O sword. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But he, God, will then turn his hands onto the little ones because they've been all scattered. Because if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. So God was saying the shepherd needs to be struck, but then there's going to be a gathering of all the lambs and all the sheep because the shepherd has been struck. Awake us all. Psalm 22 is a very powerful Christ psalm. It's all about the crucifixion. David when he pens the psalm, says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No idea about the cross, but prophetically writing these words in a time of forsakenness, but they stand up and they project right into the future prophetically. The very words that Jesus cries on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A messianic, Christ-crucified psalm. And in Psalm 22, it says, They part my garments amongst them and cast lots upon my vesture. That's written in Psalms. But that happened. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword. My darling from the power of the dog. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he's the governor amongst the nations. A seed shall serve him, and it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. <laughs> There's a whole sermon there. <laughs> Woo! And so Jesus is crucified after that. Everybody with me? It's in the garden. Judas came. Satan came to the garden. He was betrayed. Jesus said, bring swords. So they bring swords. Awake, O sword. Strike the shepherd. The shepherd was struck and the sheep were scattered. It's amazing. I don't know what picture, what image you get when Jesus was crucified, 
But here it is in John chapter 19, verse 41. Is everybody following me? Yes. Remember, we zoomed out. Are you getting something? And in, in John chapter 19, verse 41, it says, At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new tomb. Where was the tomb? In a garden. Come on. Come on. Powerful prophetic symbolism all happening. You know, God's graphically describing, you know, what's going on. Long story short, the resurrection morning, women go running and they go to finish the work of embalming with Jesus' body and stuff like this. And they get there and they see the stone has rolled away, you know, putting events together and angels sitting on the stone. But at one time when they looked in, it was empty. The headcloth neatly folded up. The garment that covered his body just laying, frumpled up. And uh, when one of the other disciples comes in, I think it was John, he looks inside and he sees two angels on the inside, one where the head was, one where the feet was. Woo-woo. He has another sermon, okay? So he looked inside. He has the body of Jesus, angel, and then angel. So the Ark of the Covenant, the, uh, you know, angel, angel. Is that okay? And so there's the symbolism. So angels in the garden, swords in the garden, all kinds of things in the garden. And so and then this incident happens with Mary when she's weeping. And he hears, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Supposing he was the gardener. Mary. I am the gardener. Don't touch me. It's powerful that in the very next chapter, Doubting Thomas I won't believe unless I can put my hands in the wounds. Jesus just miraculously appears in the room. He says, touch me. Woo! Been to the Father. Been to my God, your God. Presented my blood. There it is. Touch. Touch the tree of life. Eat of the tree of life and live. Touch. It's wonderful that Habakkuk chapter 3 says he's going to crush the head of that evil company which he did, defeated him at the cross, Habakkuk 3.13. And so the way of life has been opened. It's amazing to me that the cherubim, the angels, with the swords that were protecting to the way of tree of life, are back in the garden. I'm convinced it's the same two angels. And the reason why I say two is because in the garden it doesn't say two angels with sword. Doesn't say it. But here was two swords carried by the disciples. Here was two angels, one over the head and one over the feet of Jesus. And basically, now the prophecy of Jeremiah is fulfilled. The sword is put back in its sheath, in its scabbard. And they were basically saying, this is now the new Ark of the Covenant. This is now the new one. The temple of God is open. Everything from that point becomes, and heaven were open. And the books were open. And, you know, the temple in heaven's sanctuary was open. No longer everything open. So the way to the tree of life is woo, open. Hallelujah. So we see this. And then, you know, we go across to the closing book of the Bible. And we come to the last chapter of the Bible. John seeing in prophetic vision, you know, all about the crucified Christ. He's seeing, 
It's the testimony of Jesus. The book of the Revelation is not about Antichrist and end times and whatever. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about his crucifixion, his death, what he did for us. And so John sees in heaven, because in John chapter 1, he saw new heaven, new earth, and he sees the city of God coming down like a bride. In Revelations 22, he sees the throne of God and of the Lamb. And the crucified Christ, because he's now risen, ascended. He's both Lord and Christ. He's sitting on the throne of God. So it's the throne of God and the Lamb. And out of the throne is coming the river of the water of life, clear as crystal. Come on, everybody. And what he's seeing is a throne. But what else is he seeing? And he says, this river flows straight down the straight great street of heaven, you know, of the city. And so this is what Isaiah prophesied. I'm getting excited now. This was what Isaiah prophesied, a way in the wilderness. This is the highway of holiness. It is a river of life. It is the Holy Spirit coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Because out of Him comes the pure water of life. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So from the throne comes this river of life flowing down the center of the street. And you know, you can't explain things, um, spiritual things in visions and things like that. Because when he looks, what he sees is that tree of life, singular. And he sees the tree of life. Now, how do you figure these things out? How do you explain vision? Because he sees that tree of life on both sides of the river. In other words, come on, the tree is by the river on the highway, the golden street from the throne of God and the Lamb. And this tree is so fruitful, it bears fruit all year round, 12 different kinds of fruits in its season which is the whole year, every month. Where have you ever heard of such a thing? And so you see the garden fallen, the garden lost. Now you see the garden restored because there is a gardener, amen, who's deeply interested in us. And like I said last week, he's nurturing us out of the old nature and he's nurturing us into his new nature. And so we are a planting of the Lord, amen. So Revelation chapter two, verse seven, it says this. John has this vision and out of that revelation that John saw, Jesus tells him uh, to write to the seven churches. And every seven churches got an aspect of the revelation of Jesus. And it possibly is prophetic of all churches down through all of the ages. But it's interesting in Revelation 2 verse 7, because they all say, and to him overcomes, to him overcomes. Hear what the Spirit says, to him overcomes. But here in this one, he says, if you overcome, I'll give you the right to eat of the tree of life. Come on, church. Now you've overcome. What is the victory that overcomes the world? Even our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? So you have the right to eat from where? Which is in the paradise of God. Come on. So the way to the tree of life has been opened. So we can touch the tree of life. Isn't it amazing that prophetically, prior to the cross, there were many who recognized, if I just can touch the tree of life. And sometimes the tree of life just touched the funeral bier of a young man and he sat up. Because there was something in them that was saying, I have to touch the tree of life. I've got to touch the tree of life. Amen? So come on, one touch from the king. 
And so we participate in the tree of life. And so that is God's intention. Psalm 1, like a tree planted by rivers of living water. Isaiah 61, verse 3, they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8, you know, the blessed, the righteous will be like trees planted in the courts of God. It doesn't matter if there's drought or famine or the heat of the day, they will never fail. They will never dry up. They will always bear fruit without failure. Jesus himself was referred to as a tree because out of the stump of Jesse, a shoot will spring forth. Isaiah 53, he was cut down, but then he sprung up. And so in the book of um, Romans that uh, we are in the stock and the root of Jesse, you know, there was the natural olive and we're the wild olive. And so the natural olive branches were cut off because of unbelief, but because of our belief, we were grafted in into that stock. And so we are trees of God. And so he has a garden. Amen. Amen. Woo! You are that garden. And so Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. And he said, I want you to understand, when you minister, you might be watering. You might be planting in the garden of God. Is that okay? But he goes on to say, but you are God's cultivated field. The Amplified says his garden, his vineyard. Other translations say his husbandry or his planting. You are God's field, and he's taking care of us. So listen, you know, the fallout of COVID, let it be what it is. But God is gardening. Amen? And God is tending his garden. And so we have the right to eat of the tree of life. When, uh, when God said to Adam, things are cursed. It's really amazing. He said, the ground is going to just bring out thorns and thistles, and you're going to have to really work the ground. Evidence of the curse. Thorns and thistles. So when they were whipping Jesus, somewhere along the line, one Roman soldier got some inspiration. He goes and cuts something off of a thorn bush, weaves it into a crown of thorns, and they beat it onto Jesus' head. They didn't realize how they were prophesying that he will bear the curse and release us from the curse that was in the garden. Amen. Because he said, by the sweat of your brow, you will earn your keep. By the sweat of your brow. Where did they put the thorns? So he said, I'm breaking the curse. I want you blessed. It's not by the sweat of your brow any longer. It's a message in that. So the curse was broken. And, uh, you know, Galatians tells us, cursed as you is hung on the tree. But that we receive the blessing. What is the blessing? The blessing is that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. And so he was cursed. But now the thing becomes this. Is that I believe that more and more and more. Post this COVID thing. We're going to see revelation coming. We're going to see power coming. I believe the church is stepping into a time of redeeming this planet from curse. The curse of sickness and the curse of poverty, and it's up to the church. Amen. It's us. And uh, we are curse breakers. We are not cursed. We are blessed. Don't let anybody ever lie to you and tell you that you're cursed. There's no witch. There's no witch doctor. There's no Satanist who's more powerful than God. They cannot overrule God's blessing of you with their piddly little demonic Satan dust-eating curse. Because whom God has blessed, no man can curse. Amen. 
I get really annoyed when Christians come to me and they go, Brother John, I think I'm cursed. It's what J.D. said in the offering. If you want to be cursed, you believe you're cursed, you're cursed. But me, I'm not cursed. I'm uncursable. Cannot curse me. Is that okay? Christians can be cursed if they believe in the power of a curse. But I'm too blessed to be cursed. Amen? And so the curse is broken. But there's another thing. Another thing that Isaiah prophesied, Ezekiel prophesied, Jeremiah prophesied it, that this garden of God, and this is what we're going to start seeing. So it's macro, but it's also micro. It's corporate, but it's also individual. In Isaiah 58 verse 11, it says, And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. Yeah, so the COVID thing has done its thing, but we're coming out of it. But listen to what God says. He says, And thou shalt be like a watered, well-watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Come on. When God talks about his garden, he's saying, no lack for water. This is going to be a well-watered garden. You've heard of hydrophonics, haven't you? Well, this is a hydrobody. Okay. This is a, a church full of water. This is a well-watered church. Going back to Isaiah 51 verse 3, he says, For the Lord shall comfort Zion, he'll comfort in all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found there in thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Can I tell you how Ezekiel says it? In Ezekiel 34 verse 25 to 27, he talks about I'm making a covenant. And the covenant, you know, from my side will be this. It'll be in the time of the shepherd. How many of you know Jesus said in John chapter 10, I'm the true shepherd? You know, the, you know God said, Israel is the vine. Then God said, nah, well, Israel is just a field of thorns now. And then Jesus comes along and says, I'm the vine. I'm just fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. So in the time of the shepherd, which shepherd? The true shepherd. John chapter 10. He said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I will make them, the people he's talking to, surrounding my hill. Which hill? Mount Zion, where the city of God is. The city set on the hill, the light of the world. I will make them a blessing. Everybody say, I am blessed and I am a blessing. He said, I will send down showers in season and there shall be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit, and the ground will yield its crops. Yeah. Uh, isn't that awesome? In the time of the shepherd, there shall be showers, showers of blessing I need. Mercy drops round me are falling, but for showers I, we plead. That was an old-timey song. Where did they get it from? There. We've seen mercy drops, but we need showers. God said, I was in showers of blessing. Very amazing that Isaiah 5 verse 7 says, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. Change that to the New Testament. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is ACF and others. Amen. And so the fruit, the fruit, the power of it. So what is the shepherd doing? What is the gardener doing? I believe that one of the things that we're going to powerfully see coming out of COVID, and you know, I don't want to repeat things that I've said, is God getting back to original intent? Yeah. Yeah. Garden lost, 
garden restored. Trees withered, wilderness, famine, trees restored. And so he said, you know, when I speak, the words that I speak, they're spirit and life. In other words, he was saying, it's fruit and it's got seed in it. And so he wants to restore back to original intent. He wants to get back to where things are supposed to be. And so Proverbs 11 verse 30 says, and you know, I've read Proverbs so many times, because of, but it was like I'd never read Proverbs when I found this verse. The fruit of the righteous, the fruit of the righteous. Proverbs 11:30. The fruit of the righteous. In other words, the righteous produce fruit. Woo! The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. Come on. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Woo! So come on, what are you? You are trees of life. If he is a tree of life, we are trees of life. He is the son of God. We are sons of God. Amen? He's God. We are gods. Come on. He's king and priest. We are kings and priests. He's the tree of life. What are you? Tree of life. So you got any other scripture for it, Pastor John? I'm so glad you asked. In Isaiah 55 and uh, verse 10, this is God speaking prophetically through the prophet, and he says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to that watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word, he says, that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty. In other words, God's saying, my word is like rain and snow. It comes down, it hits the earth, it saturates the earth. It doesn't return back in vapor and moisture without it accomplishing a purpose. My word never comes back empty to me. And he says, what does it do? It produces seed and bread. So listen, church. The next verse is the critical verse when he says, In place of the thorn shall be the fir. In place of the briar shall be the myrtle tree. In other words, he was saying, that cursed thing is going to become a tree. Amen. There'll be no more curse because of my word. Is that okay? I will change the nature of the curse. I will change the character of those things that are natural and cursed and broken. So come on, you are not curse anymore or no longer under a curse. Is that okay? And so it's verse 13. You go out and be led forth. So verse 13. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. In other words, the church is never going to be destroyed. You're going to still see trees instead of thorns. Because the righteous is a tree of life. Awesome. But um, the interesting thing about it all is that when Jesus spoke about the sower and the seed, he was talking about the fact that his word is seed and it will produce. We need to guard the seed. And so I love, I love what Revelations 22 says, talking about this particular tree that would produce fruit. He also said, and the leaves of the tree shall be for the, come on, say my leaves are for the healing of the nations. Say, my word, my words are a tree of life to those who hear. Say, I have fruit of my lips that contains the seed word of God, and it will produce supernatural results. Amen? Amen. If I was to kind of sum up a little bit with all of that in the background, all of that, you need to now be considering everything I've said so far. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, 5, and 6, 
the king refers to his beloved. Jesus speaking about his church. Refers to her more than once as a God. And in verse 12 to 16, he says, you are a God and locked up. Now, I want you to listen. Is everybody listening? I want you to hear the words of the gardener, Jesus, speaking to us, the garden. I want you to hear the words of the gardener to the trees of life. And he's saying, you're a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits with henna, nard, saffron, calamus, cinnamon. You know, a lot of those things are elements of the anointing. Every kind of incense tree with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that sounds like Isaiah. So many verses. You're a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. What a description of us. Talk about getting back to original intent. Then he says this, prophetic. You're all listening. Verse 16, I mean. He says, awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden. You know, we thought COVID was a curse. Maybe COVID was a blessing. Come, wind, blow on the garden. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Come on, church. A lot of pastors have said, yeah, it seems like the church doesn't have significance. I said, it seems like, but it does. It does. It does. Just take the salt away and watch what happens to the meat. Just take the salt away and watch what happens. The preserving power of the church is underestimated. But God doesn't just want us to be a preservation instrument. God wants us to be a light that shines. So he says, I'm going to cause winds to blow. But it's going to release because you're a garden enclosed, a fountain locked up, but it's going to release the fragrance. And then he says, and then me, the beloved, is going to come into the garden and taste its choice fruits. So let me, let me end with this. It was Jesus who said, a tree is recognized by its fruit. Yeah, that's right. Matthew 7. It was Jesus that said in John chapter 15, I am the vine, my father is the gardener. He said every branch in me, basically that's dead, that doesn't belong there, we cut off and throw away. But every branch in me that bears fruit, it gets pruned to produce more fruit. And he said, And then, much fruit. So there's fruit, there's more fruit, and there's much fruit. Now why does God do the pruning? Maybe for some, COVID's been a pruning. Why does God do the pruning? Because he wants fruit. Come on, church. He wants more fruit, and he wants much fruit. Why? Because, A, it's for his glory. Is that okay? That's why the gardener will come and taste of the fruit. And, B, it's for our good. Is that right? Because a good tree produces good fruit. But not only that, it's good for the world. Because the tree of the righteous is a tree of life. Come on, we've got words. We're gardens enclosed, but God wants to open the garden. Come on, he did a whole lot of opening. Isn't that right? He opened the way to the tree of life. He opened the heavens. He's opened the tabernacle. He's opened everything. And what he wants to do is also to open the church. And say, come on, this fragrance has got to go everywhere. People have got to come and eat the fruit and then themselves find salvation. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Is it okay? So supposing he was the gardener. Supposing. Jesus didn't say, I am. 
But in another way, he said, I am. Back to original intent. Get something? So don't be surprised at the painful trial you go through, says James. And, uh, you know, many other verses. Because in the process, you know, even this message today possibly was some pruning. Maybe just of a pruning of a perspective to say, I can trust the gardener with this tree because he's committed. Is that okay? I can trust him with my life because he knows what he's doing. I can trust him with every positive situation. I can trust him with every negative situation. I can trust him with everything that he's going through because he wants fruit and more fruit and he wants much fruit. Amen. Amen. Did anybody get something? Amen. Say, I'm a tree of righteousness, a tree of life. Say, I'm bearing fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. By this is my Father glorified, that I bear much fruit. And my leaves are for the healing of the nations. And whatever I go through, whatever wind blows, it's because God wants the fragrance of my life to be spread everywhere. So that they smell the fragrance of Christ. Come to the knowledge of Him. So Father, I surrender to You as my gardener, as my heavenly Father. I trust You with the garden of my life. And You will bring about every purpose, every original intention in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord continue to be gracious to you and good to you. The Lord continue to make you prosperous. Amen. Because in the house of the righteous are many treasures. In the house of the righteous, there is enough finance, more than enough. May the Lord continue to keep you strong and healthy. May the Lord continue to give you the wisdom that you need for any and every situation. May the Lord give you His peace, the peace that cannot be taken away. Peace not like the world gives, but His very own peace. And may the joy of the Lord be your strength continually. May you have a new spring in your step, a new smile on your face. And may you experience the continued favor of God that takes you onwards and forwards. May by His Spirit that He continues to take you from glory to glory with ever-increasing glory. In the Lord Jesus Christ. May the fruit of your lips release the seed word of God. May it impregnate every heart around you with grace and with truth. And the power of the Lord Jesus Christ penetrate their lives. And so another Christ life is born as they listen to your words. May your life be a demonstration of His blessing. May it provoke them to jealousy when they look at you and they see the peace of God and the joy of the Lord upon your face. May it provoke them to an envy that will say, like the words of the Scripture, let me take you by the coat. Let me go with you to the house of God because I see that's where the glory is. That's where the presence is. That's where the blessing is in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you all. Be blessed.